0: Another Wendell Wallace production for your listening pleasure. Wendell Wallace here, so get on up (laughs) and get on down. Time to shine, moving to the soul number by the genius though, Stevie and Wonder. As I thunder into the next episode of the podcast that is unique, complete with sports take and opinions that are thought-provoking. I ain't no joking like the God Rod Cam, so let the talent and flow of my show begin. I introduce to you this podcast named Wendell's World of Sports, so please give me a round of applause as I try to pause in your cause or theory that clearly there is not a sports talk podcast that could fulfill your appetite. Delight in my podcast and let your listening ears digest the best program that demands and commands your full attention, as I have no pretensions about the amount of dimension my program goes into. If I'm losing, I'll come back and win the game like the Astros of Houston or the Mariners of Seattle. I'll rattle the podcast and cattle and channel with a program that soars, with the vocal strength of Maria Callas along with being devastating and dominating like the defense of the Cowboys. From Dallas, So, no more words out of you, not a whisper, murmur, or peep. The price for you to compete is way too steep. Like Matt Hardy, I will have your podcast on delete. The beatdown will be sound and complete. Motivated by my hero, I try to make my comments powerful like the legendary icon Malcolm X. I flex my communication skills that kill the competition when I come correct. Detect those who are using yawn-inducing dialect. So, if you want any piece of me in the words of Bill Goldberg... Windows World is sports. Watch, enjoy, like, comment, and subscribe to my YouTube channel. And download, subscribe, follow, rate, review, and enjoy anywhere, anyhow, any way you listen to your favorite podcast.
1: Sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please?
0: Well, time's coming when we're going to have to
1: handy up. Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, unconscious Compromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL.
2: and, a touchdown.
1: and college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down at an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lim Bias, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson.
0: Wendell Wallace. Good morning, good aben. welcome to Windows World of Sports. shalom, wassalamu alaykum, konnichiwa, namaste, bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Que pasa, mi amigos? Mi Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Always loving to give the salutations from across across the globe. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast, speaking about what's happening in the world of sports. Before I do, as always, I gotta ask you. First of all, Que pasa? How you doing? What's happening? You doing good? you doing all right. I haven't spoken to you in a little bit. What's happening? You're doing everything that you need to do. I don't care if you're listening to this podcast in Australia. I don't give a damn if you're listening to this podcast in South Africa. I don't give a damn if you're listening to this podcast in Reno, Nevada. I don't give a damn if you're listening to this podcast in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Are you doing everything that you need to do? to make your world to make your environment to make your block to make your street to make your neighborhood to make your community to make your state to make your city to make your country to make your territory a better place to be that is finding someone of a different race finding someone of a different gender finding someone of a different religion finding someone that has difference in their lives Different from yours. They might love someone differently. They might be from the other side of the track. They may be from the other side of the globe. Are you doing everything that you need to do to learn about them so we can gain more education, so we can gain more intelligence? That brings down the walls of injustice, that brings down the walls of ignorance, that brings down the walls of hate, that brings down the walls of stupidity and then we start loving each other more we start respecting each other more we start having having empathy and sympathy and passion and compassion and caring and love and loyalty and unity for those those are my thoughts those are my wishes i don't give a damn what religion you You practice. I don't give a damn what God you worship, if you worship a God at all. I don't give a damn what skin color you are. I don't give a damn where you are from. I don't give a damn what your first or second language that you speak. I don't give a damn. If you have love for me, genuine love for me, if you have an understanding of me, if you have an understanding of my community, if you have empathy, sympathy, loyalty, respect for my community and for me and for others, hey man, everything else is just water under the bridge, baby. And let it flow, let it flow, let it flow away. Flow into the seeds, seeds of hatred and let's kind of stay in this oasis of harmony, peace and love. That's my hope. That's my wish that I hope for everybody. So that's number one. And number two, Anywhere where you listen to my podcast, iHeart, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, do me a favor, would you? Wendell's World of Sports. If you could download, subscribe, rate, review, most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you could listen to, if you could do that for me, no doubt. No questions. I would be the happiest human being walking the face of the earth. I say that every week, and every week I say that ain't no lie. When those world and sports, hey, look, you know what I'm going to be speaking about today? It's going to be a little bit heavy. Um, but I I just want to uh, bring this out here because it needs to be, it needs to be brought up. Number one, I'm not going to be speaking about anything regarding the NFL. I'm just not. I just can't. Not just yet. I know that the most important day for us, for just sports fans in general, in the NFL is going to come down to draft day. But I, 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 when it comes to, it's a quarterback draft, right? We have Jaleb, uh, we have Caleb Williams, we have Drake May, we have uh, Jaden Daniels, we have Bo Nix, we have Michael Penix Jr., we have J.J. McCarthy, we have all these quarterbacks who could be drafted somewhere in the first round. So we should be having a lot of ammunition. We should have a lot of meat on the bones to eat and keep our bellies filled when it comes to speaking about what's happening with the NFL, NFL draft. The only thing is is that we're so early in the process that I don't know, man, because you know with each one of these prospects, and when, let, let's let's just concentrate on the quarterbacks, okay? We might go into the wide receivers, the offensive line, defensive line, but for the most part, our knowledge is really strong when it com- when it compares to the other positions. Man, we can't break down what's happening with the offensive linemen. We can't break down what's happening with the safeties. We can't really break down about the um. Uh- about the wide receivers or the cornerbacks or the linebackers position, but we do have some type of take. We do have some type of feel. We do have the most interest in terms of our speaking, our evaluations, our debating. No one's going to be debating about which offensive lineman is is, is better. No one's going to be sitting up there in the barbershops or or, or on your lunch break sitting down there at the lunch table talking about who's the better defensive lineman. Who's going to be the first safety that's going to be drafted in the NFL, right? We always go to to the quarterback, the quarterback being the most important position, not only in the NFL, not only in football, but also in sports. So when we speak about those quarterbacks that we're going to be debating and talking about, my commanders need to do this to get Drake May. No, 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 Drake May sucks. We need to go ahead and we need to go get Jaden Daniels. No, no, no. The Bears need to keep Justin Fields and and, and and trade that first pick for a boatload of players or boatload of draft picks or a boatload of capitals. And they need to, um, you know, do something about their offensive line or they need to do something about the wide receiver position no 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 the patriots need to get marvin harrison jr and try to see what they can do to resuscitate the uh career of uh, mac jones now that bill belichick and bill o'brien and matt patricia no longer have their hands on them so all of this stuff we can be debating right but right now when it comes to the quarterbacks between williams and daniels and may and all these other guys i have no idea and my commanders hold the number two pick i have no idea what they need to do i don't know I don't know if they need to go up and mortgage their future to try to get um, Caleb Williams. Kind of similar to what they did when they went ahead and tried to uh, get uh, RG3 years ago. I, I I don't know exactly which quarterback is going to be great. I've heard some pundits talk about Drake May without question is the best quarterback in the NFL draft. Then I've heard other people with equal amounts of credibility say no 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 you're crazy Caleb Williams is the best quarterback in this draft then you've had other people say no 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 down the line four or five years from now J.J. McCarthy is going to be the guy that's going to be the best quarterback taken in this draft then I have uh, other people say no 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 Michael Penix Jr. has the most most arm talent and he has the biggest upside in terms of being a pocket quarterback and being an NFL quarterback so he should be the guy that should be taken higher than these other guys and i hear other people say no 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 michael pennix jr you saw what he did in the championship game against uh, michigan against an nfl defense against an nfl coach and he's been injured a lot so no he's off limits and then i've heard people say no 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 bo nix is a guy that should be drafted in the second round and then or, or the first round and then i've heard people say no 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 bo nix to be drafted in the second or third round so I don't know, man. To tell you the truth, I don't know. Because Randy Mueller and, and, and uh, Joe Klatt and all these other guys, uh, Nate Tice, who are, who are experts in talking about this uh, process, I don't know who to believe. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's almost like when you're going on a, a vacation and just like, okay, we're going over to, uh, I'm out here. In the, let, let, let's say, for instance, that you're out of state and you're like, okay, let's go to Vegas. Let's go to Vegas and party. Now, shall we stay at the Cosmopolitan? Should we stay at the Aria? Should we stay at the Mandalay Bay? Should we stay at the Wind? Should we stay off the Strip and go to the Red Rock? Should we, I mean, exactly where shall we go? So when you do that, you go ahead and you're doing your homework, right? You go to Expedia, you go to all these other places in terms of where they have reviews because you're trying to find the best place for you to stay. You have your wish list of what you want. You know, I want this type of room for this many people and this that, and the other. And it's like you read the reviews and you read everything else. And by the time that you're done, you don't know where to stay. Like you could be talking about, hey, let's uh, go to Bellagio. I always wanted to go to Bellagio. I always wanted to stay at the Bellagio. Let's, uh, let's see some of the uh, comments that they have on these reputable uh, places to uh, go take a look at those. So you have one guy say, the Bellagio was terrible. It was horrible. The rooms were terrible. The service was horrible. The food was overrated. I'd never, ever go back to this place. You're like, oh man, that's, that's horrible. Then the next comment you read from somebody who stayed at almost the same exact time that the other person did who trashed the Bellagio, they say, Oh man, this was the greatest experience I ever had. The rooms were fantastic. The service was undeniable. The food was top flight. Guaranteed, I've never had greater food in my life. This experience will I'll keep with me forever and treasure forever. I cannot wait to come back here. So you're like, okay. So exactly which review am I going to a whole credibility to? The one who said the Bellagio was trash, or the other one who said the Bellagio was great? And the both of them, one saying it's trash, one saying it's the other, they're talking about the same exact thing. This guy said that the rooms suck. This one said that the rooms are great. This one said the service was horrible. This one said that the service was top notch. This one said that the food was overrated. This one said this was the best tasting food I've ever had in my life. So exactly, where am I going to stay? What am I going to do when it comes to that? It almost comes to that with the uh, NFL, right? I mean, I can listen to one guy who sits there and says, oh, my goodness gracious, Caleb Williams, this guy is going to be a generational great. This guy is going to be a quarterback that you can build your franchise around and he can lead you to Super Bowl championships. No question about it. Then you have other people say, oh, man, Caleb Williams, he's a bum. Caleb Williams, did you see how he acted? Did you see how that attitude was when USC started losing? Did you see some of those games where he was pressured and he came off of his first read or he was scrambling? Did you see those type of Brett Favre type of interceptions that he made? Oh, man, I wouldn't touch Caleb Williams with the number one pick. And it's like, okay, who am I going to believe? Drake May, I don't know, Drake May doesn't seem like an NFL quarterback to me, and we've seen what happened with North Carolina quarterbacks when they're drafted high in the first round, see Mitchell Trubisky. Then you have others who say, well, Drake May can't miss quarterback. Can't miss quarterback. I would take him over Caleb Williams. He's generationally great. Who do you believe? Especially when you take a look at the uh, quarterbacks who have been taken, number one, number two, who have been taken high in uh, in the drafts, in the previous drafts, you know, just by precedence, you know that one or two of these quarterbacks are going to bomb. And I'm not just talking about quarterbacks taken in the first round. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about quarterbacks who are drafted 15th or 17th or 19th or 28th. No, I'm talking about first uh the number 1 player picked. I'm talking about the number 2 player picked. I'm talking about the number 5 pl- player picked in these drafts. Because history tells us for for the Trevor Lawrence's And the Joe Burrows that get drafted number one and turn out to be franchise quarterbacks, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go on the assumption that eventually Trevor Lawrence will be that quarterback that you'll be able to put a team on his shoulders and you'll be able to lead you to conference championships and Super Bowl appearances. So for every Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow that's drafted number one that live up to expectations, there's a bunch of, there's a a lot more like Baker Mayfield, like Jameis Winston, like Marcus Mariota like Josh Rosen, like Zach Wilson, like, uh, like, like like those types who don't pan out. So I don't know. I don't know. So, so history tells us that if there's going to be five or six quarterbacks taken in the first round, Caleb Williams, let, let's just go for instance, just, let, let's just say the Chicago Bears draft, um the Chicago Bears draft Caleb Williams, number one. My Washington Commanders draft Drake May, number two. The New England Patriots draft Jayton uh, Daniels number three, and then maybe we go down a little bit, and let's say that the New York Jets select Michael Penix Jr. or uh, maybe the Minnesota Vikings then select J.J. McCarthy, and then near the end of the draft, I say something like the Los Angeles Rams select Bo Nix to be the uh, era present to uh, the era parent to um, Matthew Stafford. So let's say that those six quarterbacks are going to be drafted in the first round, right? you know at the very least two or three of those quarterbacks are going to bomb. And history has told us that of the three quarterbacks that, be, that could be taken number one, two, or five, or number one, two, and three, Williams, Drake May, Jalen Daniels, that one of those quarterbacks, if not two, are going to fail. History tells, that, tells us that within five or six years, um, five or six years from now, that if the Chicago Bears draft... Caleb Williams, he's not going to be on their team. He's not going to be their starting quarterback. History tells us that within five or six years from now, if the Washington Commanders, if my Washington Commanders draft uh, Drake May, there's a strong probability that he's not going to be the starting quarterback. He's not going to be our quarterback for that team. So where do you go? What do you start? How do you start? And history also tells us that the greatest quarterbacks or the quarterbacks doing the most work, they're not high draft picks. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, who's going to go down as one of the greatest, if not the greatest quarterback of all time. He's on his way for doing so, or be, at least being at the table. He wasn't drafted number one. You take a look at someone like a Dak Prescott, who's been the uh, Dallas Cowboys starter for the longest of time and has put up great winning numbers in the um, in the regular season, he wasn't drafted number one. Hell, he wasn't even drafted in the first round. The two-time MVP of this league before the age of, what, 27 or 28, Lamar Jackson, he was drafted at the end of the first round. So which one of these quarterbacks, that six quarterbacks are we going to be talking about, is going to be closer to Lamar Jackson? Is going to be closer to a Dak Prescott? Is going to be closer to a, a Patrick Mahomes in terms of, in terms of, that quarterback overproducing on where he was drafted compared to the quote unquote can't miss franchise need to draft him number one two or three in the draft type of draft picks who are going to flame out this season. So because of, again so because of all that. I'm not touching the n f l even though I just spent what fifteen minutes talking about that, but we'll get into more in depth in terms of this is what my commander should do, this is what my chicago this is what your Chicago bears can do, this is what your New England Patriots should do with your draft picks and who they should draft and which quarterback that they that they should go with I, I, I want to get a little bit more information i want to hear a little bit more i want i want to have a little bit more time to think and to listen and to hear and to educate. Uh, those who know a lot more about this process in terms of evaluating quarterbacks much more than I do before I start talking about what my commander should do. So there you go. That's what I wanted to that's what I wanted to get off my chest. Um, My thoughts and prayers Um, before we move on. My thoughts and prayers the shooting during the uh, God, man, I shouldn't say thoughts and prayers. I hate the word thoughts and prayers. My bad. My bad. The shooting during the KC Super Bowl parade. Um, Two juveniles were charged with the crime, even though now I heard that they're being charged as adults or they were adults. A news release from the Jackson County Family Court said the juveniles were charged Thursday and are being detained in the uh, county's juvenile detention center on gun-related and resisting arrest charges. The release says it is anticipated that additional charges are expected in the future as the investigation by the Kansas City Police Department continues. No further information was released. Juvenile court cases are largely kept private under Missouri law and hearings are not open to the public. So I don't know. Again, from what I heard before I went on, the before I recorded this, I've been recording this on a Tuesday afternoon again is that uh, they're being charged as adults, or they were adults, so maybe some of this might be uh, out of date, but uh, we'll see, we'll see. Um, but it really doesn't make any difference. It's kind of like commonplace now in this country. I'm just waiting for um, the only reason why um, people haven't really spoken out about this on both sides when you speak about Democrats or uh, Republicans yet is because we need a little bit more information so we can use that as talking points and bullet points to uh, blame the other side. So, um, for instance, if these were if these were two white guys, well, let, 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 let's just say, for instance, that the people who did this were uh, were white folks from uh, from, from uh, Missouri, right? Well, then we'll have the Democrats talking about, oh, that's the reason why, you know, gun violence and gun control is out of control and they're MAGA supporters and they're probably inbreds and all this type of stuff and they don't know any better and this, that, any other. And then you'll have the Republicans, if there's two black guys who did this or two Hispanics or two minorities talk about, well, you know, the reason why that they did this is because they've been brainwashed into the woke, um, tradition or the woke values of the far left that are indoctrinating these people with the ignorance and the stupidity to do these type of things and blah, blah, blah. So all this type of nonsense. So, again, I'm I'm just waiting for, of course, you know, you need to put on the dog and pony show of saying, oh, this is horrible and this is terrible and we'll survive this and we're a nation of strong people and we'll get over this and we need to come together and all this type of nonsense. But as soon as... As we get a little bit more information on who did it, then, of course, we'll go to our corners. Half of us will go to the left. The other half will go to the right and we'll start trying to blame each other. So I can't wait for that bullshit and that nonsense to happen. Again, when you live in this country, which again, I reference as the ignorant, racist, divided states of America, because when you say United States, I always like to ask people exactly what are we re- united in? <laughs> I mean, we're not united in anything. We're not united in nothing. So I, it's, it's, we're united in being ignorant. We're united in being stupid. We're united not in not having too much common sense in this country. We're united in being uneducated, being lost, being uh, being ignorant to uh, to those who are different from from each of us whether we're speaking about race, whether we're speaking about financial background, whether we're speaking about where we were born, whether we're speaking about gender. I mean, we're we are we're, we're ignorant when it comes to those things. So even within our communities, when you speak about that, you know how ignorant black folks are when it comes to other blacks? We're ignorant. We're uneducated. We're lost. So, hey, man, there's nothing, there's nothing united about this country, again, except for its ignorance and except for its... um. It's uncouthness, and this is going to be another example of that where, again, they will be using this tragedy, uh, the political uh, folks to, again, shout and scream at each other and do nothing more than to try to gain support and gain votes, especially with the election right around the corner. So, you know, we'll just we'll just hang on there. Um, what I want to talk about before I go into my break, there's two dates that are coming up. Again, I am recording this podcast on a tuesday february 20th there's two historical dates that i want to speak about one is the uh, 21st of february and the other one is the 25th of february two important dates that happen how about that on in, in black history months so nice that this country gave us black history month the shortest month of the year and the coldest in certain parts of the country so thank you so much black history is every day 365 24 7 but hey you know Whatever. Um, but two historical dates that happened, and it really has impacted and made strong, has made a strong impact in our lives in our society today. Uh, the first one, January twenty first, nineteen sixty five. That happened fifty nine years ago. And February twenty fifth, nineteen sixty four. That happened sixty years ago. One of these dates I want you to uh, recognize, but not celebrate. There's no room for celebration on this date. The other date I want you to not only recognize, but I also want you to celebrate because without that date, a lot of these things that we are taking for granted today that we are ignorant about today uh, would not have come to fruition. The world would definitely not be in the place where we are right now if, it, if those two dates didn't happen. I know for a fact that my life has been greatly enriched by the people I'm able to, uh, that I was able to meet, that I was able to, the, the experiences that I was able to go through, the lifelong friends that I've made, the impact that people have had on my lives. I know the positive impact that those people have had on my lives. I know it would not have been possible if it wasn't for those two dates. So let's go ahead and talk about them, right? The first one, February 25th, 1965, the assassination of Malcolm X, El-Hash, Malik El Shabazz, was gunned down by the thugs from the gang or cult that called themselves the Nation of Islam, or as I like to call them, the Nation of Stupid Ass Niggas, with their cult leader, Elijah Poole, aka Elijah Muhammad. Uh, people might want to call him Elijah, uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. There ain't nothing honorable about that piece of shit. Nothing. Zero. Nor, neither the gang that he was leading. So, on February 25th, 1965, Malcolm X was murdered while preparing to address an audience in Manhattan's Audubon Ballroom. Somewhere in the 400-person audience, someone yelled out, Nigger, get your hand out of my pocket, as Malcolm X and his bodyguards tried to quell the disturbance. A man rushed toward and shot him once in the chest with a sawed-off shotgun, and two other men charged the stage, firing semi-automatic handguns. Malcolm X was pronounced dead at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time shortly after arriving at Columbia Presbyterian Hospital. The autopsy identified 21 gunshot wounds to the chest, left shoulder, arms, legs, including 10 buckshot wounds from the initial shotgun blast. One gunman, the Nation of Stupid-Ass Niggas or Islam member, Thomas Hader, also known as Thomas Hagen, was beaten by the crowd before our police arrived. Too bad they didn't kill him. Witnesses identified the other gunmen as Nation of Stupid-Ass Niggas Norman X. the third Butler and Thomas 15X Johnson. All three were convicted of murder in March of 1966 and sentenced to life in prison, even though in 2021, Muhammad Abdul Azizi and Khalil Islam, formerly known as Malcolm 3X Butler and Thomas 15X Johnson, were exonerated from... From their murder convictions, following a review that found the FBI and the New York State Department withheld key evidence during the trial. Les Payne, there's an excellent, excellent, excellent docuseries speaking about this on Netflix. Who killed Malcolm X and um, Les Payne and Tamara Payne and their... Pulitzer Prize winning biography The Dead Are Arising The Life of Malcolm X uh, claimed that the assassins were members of the nation of stupid-ass niggas or Islam's Newark New Jersey mosque William 25 also known as William Bradley who fired the shotgun and Leon Davis and Thomas Thomas Hayer um, it, was, it was interesting because during that docuseries they actually showed this is the guy who killed Malcolm X he's hanging out in New Jersey um, throughout the years he was he was hanging out with Cory Booker uh, and and uh, it, was, it was interesting. It was interesting how someone could be living so freely on the streets after murdering one of the most important black men of the 20th century, but yet still in our community, if you're wearing a different color or if you're in a different neighborhood, which you should not be in, or if you mean mug somebody, or if you talk about someone uh, in our community and some of the more ignorant communities, that's a death sentence. But someone can sit up here and murder Malcolm X, a man who died for our sins and died for our atrocities and died for our misgivings and died for the betterment of us, can walk around the streets of New Jersey and no one does a thing from our community. Okay, well, interesting. Very, very interesting. But uh, the uh, main culprit, of course, behind the murder, Elijah Poole, the cult leader, the con man, um, he, you know, he's no different than any other of of these you know fake religious leaders he's in the same boat as jim jones and david koresh and marshall applewhite and william and rulon jeffs and 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 donald trump and lewis eugene walcott yeah yeah when you speak about cult leaders when you speak about con men yeah donald trump right up there so you know, it's interesting, you know, I think about the high school students, and again, I'm a man who loves my history, and I'm a love, I'm, I, I love to educate the youth, especially in today's day and age, as we move farther away from the happenings and the important happenings uh, that shape our society today. As we move farther from that, and these kids move farther from that, and the impact and the meaning becomes less and less and less with every generation, because we're not taught these things in school. You know, high school students aren't, ta- aren't taught these things uh, when they're going to school. The only thing they're taught about is Martin Luther King gave a speech and uh, and, uh, and, they're the, and now in some states they're trying to take that out of the way. So any of the things that happened in this country that made this country, that shaped this country and improved this country, like the like the contributions and the impact of Malcolm X... The assassination of Malcolm X, the relationship between Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali, all that stuff wants to be whitewashed. All that stuff wants to be washed away. They want to take that away from your conscience. And especially when it comes to my community, how in the world can we not know the impact? How can we not know uh, the sacrifice that someone like a Michael- Malcolm X gave and the fact of who he was assassinated by from our community and our community protects this man? Should be known to the younger generation. It be, should be known to our brothers and sisters in our community. But we're not doing that. We're not doing that. Well, in this, even though I do a sports talk podcast, Wendell's world in sports, I like to talk about things that's going on in the world. And yes, let's have a moment of silence tomorrow. Let's just have a moment of reflection tomorrow and think about what happened and think about the impact and think about the fact that because of Malcolm X, because of his strength, because of his teaching, because of his um, uh, power and his strength and his beliefs, and everything that he did in terms of dignity for the black man. I know some ignorant folks are going to come up there and talk about he preached hate. He preached hate. He was all about hate. He was a guy who hated white people, called them devils, all these type of things. Think about the context that Malcolm X was in. Think about the conversion that he made to a more, uh, to to a, to, a, to a more sound uh, thought process after he went to Mecca and became a real. A uh, member of uh, of Islam, a true believer of the true religion, which is Islam, not these fucking jackasses, of the uh, of the nation of, of Islam or nation of, of uh, ignorant Negroes. So let let let's see what we can do in terms of thinking about that, in terms of bringing that along to our conscious, to our thinking. Because again, I'm not just talking about the black community. I'm thinking about the Asian community. I'm thinking about women. I'm thinking about Hispanics. I'm thinking about L i'm thinking about lbgq i'm talking about gays i'm talking about everybody i'm talking about everybody i'm talking about people in this country i'm talking about people all over the world the impact that malcolm x had and the fact that in every high school class if i was doing high school english or if i were doing high school history you better goddamn believe that the autobiography of malcolm x would have been uh, a necessary reading you better goddamn believe that i would have been um uh, playing the ballot or the bullet one of the most legendary speeches of the 20th century from this country that need to be heard you better goddamn well know that the make it plain documentary about malcolm x from the bbc would have been played so again on 20 on february 21st let's see what we can do to pay homage to or for, for um, one of the great icons of the 20th century in this country, the great, the legendary Malcolm X. And also February 25th, a day of celebration, should be a day celebrated. This generation and beyond, the important connector in the progress movement. Look, when I speak about these things, everything has a connector, right? There wouldn't have been a Malcolm X if it wasn't for this. There wouldn't have been this person if it wasn't for this person, then that person, then this person. So what I'm saying is when I talk about what happened on 20 on february 25th 1964 which launched this man into our consciousness you also have to remember if you want to do a little study and you should that this person would have been wouldn't have been um able to do what he did if it wasn't for let's just say for instance july 4th 1910 in reno nevada he wouldn't have been able to do these things if we're speaking about um uh june, uh, june 22nd 1938 there's been a lot of historical great moments in this country. There really has. February 22nd, 1980, the Miracle on Ice. When you're speaking about sporting events, the USA over uh, USSR and Russia, and at the Winter Olympics. When you're speaking about 1936, in August, Jesse Owens dominates Hitler in the Olympics and kind of puts a puts a um, puts a uh, a dent. And to the area nation being superior, of course, April 15th, 1947, Jackie Robinson becomes the first black man to play in the Major League Baseball game. April 15th, 1974, Hank Aaron breaks Babe Ruth's all-time home run leading record. And then, of course, other memories when you speak about George Bush throwing out the uh, first, uh, uh, second Bush, not Daddy Bush, but the second George Bush throwing out the uh, first pitch after the uh, terrorist attacks in 9-11. Tommy Smith and John Carlos finishing first and third in the 200 meters race. <coughs> Excuse me. Performing the Black uh, Power Salute on the victory stand at the 1968 Summer Olympics. Those are some of the great moments of our country when it surrounds sports, when it's concerning sports. But the three most historical and impactful moments again. July 4th, 1910, when you speak about, again, historical impact, impactful moments in American sports history, Jack Johnson becoming the first black heavyweight championship of the world, when basically the heavyweight championship probably puts you on the same level as kings and queens. I know for this generation, and maybe your younger generation, the heavyweight championship of the world, you can't even probably name me the heavyweight champion of the world right now, and, and, and you could care less about the heavyweight champion of the world. But when you're speaking about the turn of the 20th century, and you're speaking about probably the first 50, 60, 80 years, that moniker being the heavyweight champion of the world, being the baddest man on the planet, again, it held swage, it held prestige, it held power, it held impact. Not just in this country, but all over the world. It was the greatest symbol of a champion in any of the sports. And again, it rose you above... Just regular folks. It rose you above just the celebrity of being an athlete, and it put you on the same playing field as kings, and presidents, and leaders of countries. So that's the reason why, for the longest of time, when John L. Sullivan run, run, won the belt back in the eighteen eighties, that Jack Johnson and others had to, you know, the, well, the other black fighters could not fight for the heavyweight championship because the thought of a black man being of that stature for white folks was not only unthinkable, but it was also dangerous for them. So that's the reason why. So when Jack Johnson knocked out the great white hope, Jim Jeffries in 1910 to solidify the fact that he beat Tommy Burns. When you're speaking about Jack Johnson, he beat Tommy Burns in Sydney, Australia in 1908 to become the first black heavyweight champion. But that then precipitated an event or uh, uh, things to try to get but bailed off of Jack Johnson. So they you know, tried Jim Jeffries, who was then labeled the Great White Hope. And that was one of the biggest moments at the beginning of the 20th century when that fight took place in Reno, Nevada, July 4th, Independence Day, right? For some, not all, thank you, in uh, Reno, Nevada. And after Johnson not only beat the shit out of uh, Jim Jeffries, but toyed with him, taunted him, embarrassed him disrespected him thankfully and then knocked him out in around 15 riots occurred throughout the country that was the closest thing that we've ever had in as a as a as, as a race war In this country, when you're speaking about race riots starting out in Atlanta and Cincinnati and Houston and New York and St. Louis and Chicago and Baltimore and West Virginia and Columbus, Ohio and Dayton, Ohio and Fort Worth and Johnson County, Missouri and Kansas City, Little Rock, Los Angeles, Louisville, New Orleans, Norfolk, Virginia, Norfolk, Virginia, Omaha, Philadelphia, Roanoke, Virginia, Springfield, Illinois, St. Joseph, Missouri, Wheeling, West Virginia. This country went nuts. Now, a black man beating a white man, it ain't going to elicit that type of hatred. It's not going to elicit that type of venom. It's not going to elicit that type of reaction. But back then, when the heavyweight champion was, was uh, synonymous with power, with influence, white folks lost their minds. Like my goodness gracious, if Jim Jeffries can't beat Jack Johnson, well, then who is? And I always used to equate that when the riots started, When Martin Luther King was assassinated, when black folks said, my goodness, the the best chance that we ever had for freedom, justice and equality has just been gunned down. What hope is there left? Let's go and start, uh, you know, um, let's start destruction. And white folks shake their head and go, well, what are you all doing that for? Right. When um, when there's riots in the streets, uh, even as earlier as uh, what, four years ago? You know, when there's riots in the streets and white folks shake their head and they go, "What's all that about?" Well, you know, history shows us again what happens when white folks feel a little bit threatened, right? When white folks feel that some of their 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 their, their hopes and dreams are starting to erode, right? We we see what happened. Great example: July 4th, 1910, in Reno, Nevada. So that's one of the things that was the foundation to build up to February 25th, 1964, June 22nd, 1938. Joe. Louis, number one, the uh, first round knockout over Max Schmeling at Yankee Stadium at a time when Hitler was becoming of great power and was becoming quite a threat, not just to Eastern European countries, but quite possibly to the war uh, the world itself. So the uh, Germans trying to promote this nonsensical bullshit about the Aryan Uh, person being the the greatest person the strongest person on earth Joe Lewis said I don't think so Max Schmeling, round one beat the living shit out of him and that gave again hope that gave faith that gave um, belief that we could overcome what Hitler was talking about again I know for this generation y'all are scratching your head going really a boxing match really back in 19 again 1938 yeah Again, the meaning of what the heavyweight championship belt meant. Yes, the fact that the that the victory by Joe Lewis over Max Schmeling, and you had Jews in Auschwitz at that time who were dying, who were being tortured and dying by Hitler and his and his cronies and his devils. The fact that they gained strength the fact that they gained confidence, most importantly, the fact that they gained strength and belief to survive the Holocaust, based on the fact that Joe Lewis knocked out Max Schmeling at Yankee Stadium, June 22nd, 1938. That was the impact of what Joe Lewis did worldwide. You're speaking about a Jew in a concentration camp gaining strength and belief from that, being able to survive the Holocaust, Based on that and some other things, but mainly based on that? And then you speak about the advancement that uh, that fight had for black folks in this country and other minorities in this country. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was all the foundation. And that all led to February 25th, 1964, excuse me, yeah, 1964 Miami Convention Center the birth of Muhammad Ali. Now, really, the birth of Muhammad Ali really came to fruition on February 26th after the fight with uh, Sonny Liston. Then next day he came out and announced that he was a member of the Nation of Islam, or as I like to say, the Nation of Ignorant Brothers and Sisters and Niggas. But um, it was a situation where, at the time, Muhammad Ali was just a loudmouth, the Louisville lip known as Cassius Clay. A guy who was spouting off, and yeah, I mean, he was good, and he was, he was, he was a good fighter, and he was a gold medalist in in Rome, and he had charm, and he had charisma, and yeah, for the fight game, he was young, he was a breath of fresh air, and he was, he he, he was, uh, gregarious, and he had a great personality, and all these type of things. So for the sport itself, Cassius Marcellus Clay would have been good. You know, he's a clown, he likes to joke, he likes to do rhymes, and he's calling Sonny Liston all these names and blah, blah, blah. And he's got this interesting fighting style, kind of like a hybrid or kind of like he's he's Sugar Ray Robinson on steroids or he's Sugar Ray Robinson as a heavyweight. So that's something that the um, boxing establishment never uh, never saw. I mean, here's a guy... Who can hit like Rocky Marciano, but has the uh, footwork and the handles of a uh, much more athletic Floyd Patterson? So when you take a look at all of these fighters, heavyweight fighters that came before him, the plodding, the slow, and were monotone. They didn't speak much. They didn't rhyme. They didn't brag. They didn't boast. They didn't have any charisma. They weren't. Uh, they didn't have a colorful personality. And now here at this. Cashy as Marcellus Clay, good-looking guy from Louisville, Kentucky, coming in, and again, he's got all this charm and all this type of stuff. He would be good for the boxing game. No one, no one, no one thought about anything other than that. As I mentioned before, when you speak about um, the uh, advancement of minorities in this country and especially when you're thinking about um black folks in this country and how some white folks kind of they want to become friendly or friends or yeah i'm down with black folks what you talking about i have i have a lot of good black friends in fact here's one of my good friends right now come here you and they treat us like like animals like, hey, come here, you. Aren't you nice? Aren't you? You a good boy, aren't you? You a good black boy. Just sit there and don't say anything or mean nothing, right? That's a good boy. You know, Michael Jordan. So it was a situation. So, you know, that, that was Muhammad Ali. its not uh, Cassius, he's funny. He made, Hey, Cassius, come over here and make us laugh, clown. Hey, guys, come over here. Come over here. Hey, Cassius, come over here and say something funny. Isn't he great? <laughs> he's such a good guy. But what is he known for? before he became Muhammad Ali, he was known as a clown. He was a clown who wasn't supposed to be taken seriously. Now, all of a sudden, he meets Malcolm X. Now, all of a sudden, he's introduced a little bit to the Nation of Islam, which then connects him with Malcolm X. Now, all of a sudden, he starts learning. Now, all of a sudden, he starts, you know, kind of uh, mimicking, you know, what Malcolm X is doing. Now, all of a sudden, he starts getting educated. Who's doing the education for him? The great Malcolm X. So now all of a sudden, he starts becoming more interested as he's learning the teachings of, hey man, why is it that when you won a gold medal in Rome, you came back here trying to get something to eat in downtown Louisville and they said that there's no niggers allowed, get the hell out of here. Why is it that the fact that after you won this gold medal representing this country, you come back and you're still treated like a second class citizen? Why are you still, why is your daddy, why is your daddy a 60 something year old man or a 50 something year old man? Why are white folks calling him boy? Why are people my age? Why, Cassius? Let me ask you a question. Why are people your age calling your dad "boy," or "hey boy," or "hey nigger," disrespecting like that? Why, why is that, huh? Why is that? Because most of these white folks are of the Christian descent. So, wh- so, so, what has Christianity done for you, except kept you down, except kept you as a three-fifths of a man? Has taken away your dignity, has taken away your manhood, has emasculated you and such. Right, that's what Christianity has done for you, living in this white world. Right? Let me introduce you to the teachings of uh, Elijah Muhammad, and that's how it all started. And Malcolm fed him the not fed him the um, education to do so. So by the time that he fought and beat Liston in around eight of uh, that fight in in uh, Miami, Florida, a fight in which nobody had him uh, winning, nobody, nobody. <laughs> I mean, I believe they said that uh, out of the 40 sports uh, broadcasters and journalists that were pulled, out of the 40, 37 said that uh, Sunny Liston would win in round one. And the other three said, I guess maybe round four or five, Liston's finally going to knock him out. Sonny Liston at the time, who was who is one of my... Uh, I wouldn't say he's one of my heroes, but I visited his graveside. I visited where he lives. I think Sonny Liston also got a raw deal. Maybe one of these days I'll educate the masses on on that, how black folks in this country treated him. Shame, 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 shame. How black folks treated Joe Frazier during the Ali time and how they treated Sonny Liston when he needed our help. Shame, shame on us. Shame on us. Shame on us. We have no one to blame. But but ourselves. If we could save Mike Tyson, maybe time ran out. But we might have saved Mike Tyson, but we didn't save Sonny Liston. And we did no favors for Joe Frazier. That's on black folks. uh, That's black folks' fault. Nobody else but us. But I'll get into that on another podcast. But when he fought um, Sonny Liston, when Cassius Clay at the time fought Sonny Liston, this was a situation where Sonny Liston, known as the Big Bear, was just this mean, nasty Impenetrable, dominating, malignant force in the boxing community, who had just come off of knocking out Floyd Patterson in one round for the second time, first to win the heavyweight championship, the second time to retain the heavyweight championship. So everybody was thinking about, well, (laughs) this guy, Marcellus Clay, he ain't got a chance. He ain't got a chance. In fact, there's a great story one day um, when they were out in Vegas because Ali started this campaign about calling him the Big Ugly Bear because he found out with Liston being in prison um, before he rose to uh, power being controlled by the mob. So I don't know his rise to power so much so, but his ascension by the mob for him to become the heavyweight championship, uh, become the heavyweight champion. Um, Well, he was in Vegas Speaking of Liston, who's buried out here in Vegas, Paradise uh, Memorial, um, right near the airport. But um, when he was in Vegas, him at the time, Ali, Cassius Clay, whatever. So Sonny Liston, who woke up every day uh, in a bad mood. You know how most of us wake up up in the day kind of like on the edge, whether it's going to be a good day or a bad day is mostly dictated on how the day is going to be. Well, Sonny Liston most days just woke up in a bad mood and... It could be a lot worse. He could be a lot darker in terms of his mood, or it could maybe be a little bit jovial. But for the most part, Sonny was just a, just a, just a, just a mean, angry SOB, right? So he's at the craps table and, in Vegas, and he's losing money. So Sonny, who's already in a bad mood, is getting even angrier as he's losing money. So he's already a man who's already in a foul mood. is becoming more fouler, if you could say so. And I'm not talking about Chris. So here comes Ali, who sees this, and like I said, he just likes to poke the bear. He likes to get under their skin, and he's up there talking shit. Ah, oh, you ain't nothing. You losing money. Ha ha ha! So Liston had enough. So he takes he takes Ali, kind of slams him up against the wall, gives him that "I'm going to kill you" stare, and that and that voice that "I'm going to kill you" voice, and he says, and I'm I I I'm, I don't, I don't remember the. Exact phrase, but I remember the main meat of what he said, and the main meat of what he said was, "Listen here, you nigger faggot, I'm sick of your ass. You get the hell out of here right now before I sh- take the before I sh- uh, sh- uh, before I um, sh- uh, take take the tongue out your mouth and shove it up your ass." What he say? "Listen here, you nigger faggot, you get the hell out of here before I sh- rip that tongue out your mouth and shove it up your ass." <laughs> And Muhammad was like, okay, see ya. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm legitimately scared on that one. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so basically what I'm saying is no one gave Ali a chance. Nobody, nobody, nobody. The Nation of Islam didn't even give him a chance. The Nation of Islam didn't even send anybody, didn't even send any representatives. Even when Ali, behind the scenes, was expressing interest in joining the Nation of Islam, those the Nation of Stupid Ass niggas weren't even going to. Uh, allow him to be in their gang I'm sorry be in their religion because they thought that he was a clown because they thought that Sonny Liston was going to beat him until tomorrow so what use would the nation of stupid ass niggas aka the nation of Islam have in bringing in some guy who just got his ass whooped in 50 seconds by Sonny Liston Basically, it was going to be a situation where, okay, Sonny was going to whoop his ass, and that would be the end of Cassius Marcellus Clay. He gave us a good 15 minutes of fame, and now get the hell out of here. But what happened? With the help of Malcolm X, because before that fight happened, Ali was in the dressing room, and he was legitimately scared. Legitimately scared. He put on a show at the weigh-in to try to uh, 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 convince Liston that he was crazy, but now right before the fight, showtime, the real time, put up a shut up time, Ali was scared to death. And it was Malcolm who said, brother, what what are you scared of? You've got Allah by your side, man. You are ordained. You cannot lose. You cannot lose. This man is going down, not because of you, not because of me, but because Allah says so. Allah says so. And that's exactly what Muhammad did. Went out there, whooped his ass, and uh, that was the, basically the end of Sunny Liston and the beginning of Muhammad Ali. So uh, we, we, we don't know. February 25th launched the launched the birth of who we know as Muhammad Ali and again, I will tell you one thing take everything that you know, Barack Obama would not, or any other black man would not be president of the United States if it wasn't for Muhammad Ali with the help of Malcolm X there wouldn't have been in sports, there wouldn't have been an OJ Simpson there wouldn't have been a Billie Jean King there wouldn't have been a Michael Jordan there wouldn't have been a Tiger Woods there wouldn't have been a William Sisters there wouldn't have been a Martina Navratilova there would not have been a LeBron James there would not have been any of these folks of minority descent if it wasn't for Muhammad Ali. Everything that went down, and let me tell you something, when it helped the black community like it did, it helps all the communities, right? Yes. So the impact, we've seen the impact that Michael Jordan have had on people's lives. Tiger Woods, the impact that it's had on people's lives. Serena Williams and Venus Williams, the impact that it's had on people's lives. Martina navratilova you've seen the impact that it's had on Ah, uh, people's lives. Billie Jean King, the impact that she's had on people's lives. O.J. Simpson, the people that, uh, well, man, O.J., well, well, before O.J. started killing people, uh, he was also uh, impactful <clears throat> in what he did before he started killing people and stealing things. So you know, for Ali, the um, the impact that he had. Just again, based on that night, February 25th, Sonny Liston comes out, knocks him out. We never hear of this. This this does not happen. I don't get the chances of being who I am. I don't get the experiences in my life. I don't meet some of the people that I've met. I don't become great friends with some of the people that I've become lifelong friends with and have helped me become the person that I am if it's not for Muhammad Ali, if it's not for the uh, help and assist that he had with Malcolm X, him being the foundation. That's the reason why, again, and again, it's going to, even if you don't know it, even if you don't know it, even if you do not know it, it's also helped you. It's helped you if you're right now in high school. It's helped you if you right now starting your career in your life after you just finished college. It has helped you if you are a full-fledged adult. It has helped you if you are a senior citizen. It has helped you if you are just starting school yourself. It has helped you. With the contributions of Malcolm X and, Martin, and um, and, um uh, Muhammad Ali, it has helped you. It is, has helped you a lot. And it will continue to help as this country grows, as this nation grows, as this world grows. Again, with the understanding, with the education of learning from each other. These stories need to be told. These people and their impact need to be educated into our youth. So again, the younger generation will have that foundation and have that understanding and have that education and have that intelligence when it moves forward. That's that's why I say tomorrow, you better goddamn well stop for just a quick second and say thank you to Malcolm X. And then on the 25th, maybe watch a little Muhammad Ali do that go ahead and watch uh, that fight with sonny liston go ahead and do something regarding that fight between him and sonny liston again because also again realize that nothing like this nothing the way that we're living like today happens if it's not for um ali and it's not for malcolm x i strongly believe that all right all right class is dismissed for this period because when we come back jack time for us to get to some uh nba basketball woohoo all-star weekend who won who lost and exactly what can we do basically to improve all-star weekend i didn't watch the slam dunk contest i didn't watch saturday have no interest and barely watched the um all-star game once it got out of control what, what what can we do exactly to uh improve that let's uh add some of the ladies to it shall we say the ladies the WNBA might be the only way that we can save All-Star Weekend, or at the very least, greatly improve All-Star Weekend. I will give you my ideas and thoughts and opinions about that next. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World and Sports.
2: Let's go it out. get an equal share and until you give it him up there'll be no peace the brothers going to work it out brothers going to work it out brothers going to work it all out. Gonna work it out. Oh, we must all join hands we can march across this land in peace
0: those to... living... world of sports i'm your host window wall is so glad that you could be with us man i feel energetic man i feel great i feel great kind of brought me back this this is the kind of stuff that i used to talk about man with the younger generation this is the kind of stuff that i wanted them to learn this is the kind of stuff that i needed them to learn and my 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 message was was always this whether we were speaking about u.s history whether we were speaking about i remember asking folks about John F. Kennedy, or I remember talking to folks about John F. Kennedy, and were, and, and, and these folks in high school were looking at me like, like I was speaking about some Martian. They had no idea who John F. Kennedy was. They had no idea about the Bay of Pigs. They had no idea about Lee Harvey Oswald. They had no idea about that whole thing that went down in the Texas Book Depository. They had no idea about Jack Ruby and his connection and the mob's connection and Marilyn Monroe. They didn't know who Marilyn Monroe was. They didn't know about Martin Luther King. Oh, yeah, he was a guy who uh, fought for freedom for everybody and then gave a speech, right? Do you know the name of the speech? No, not really. Do you know where it took place? No, not really. Do you know the impact of the speech? No, not really. Do you know what happened to him at the Lorraine Motel? No, not really. Have you ever heard of the Lorraine Motel? No, not really. Do you know who assassinated him? No, not really. And it's like, what are y'all doing? How could y'all be 15, 16, 17, sometimes 18 years old, sometimes 19 years old, and you don't know these things, and you're telling me that you don't know these things, and you're t- kind of telling me like it's no big deal. You should be embarrassed. You should be humiliated. Humiliated. How could you be 16, 17 years old and not know who JFK is? How could you be a junior in high school and not know who John F. Kennedy is? Now, I'm not asking them, and I always said this. Look, the main thing is with me, you need to, when you come away from me, in terms of this is what I'm going to be teaching you, this is what I'm going to be educating you on, and it's going to be about Sidney Poitier and his contributions. It's going to be about Muhammad Ali. It's going to be about Malcolm X. It's going to be about Otis Redding. It's going to be about James Brown. It's going to be about Aretha Franklin. It's going to be about Audrey Hepburn. It's going to be about all these people. Here's what you need to know. I don't want you, like for instance, we're speaking about Otis Redding. I don't want you to start listening to his music. I don't want you to start knowing when his birthday was and all this kind of nonsense. I don't want you to know that. But the very least of what you should know about Otis Redding is the fact that he was a soul singer who made a great contribution to this society. And he sang Doc of the Bay, or at least name one or two of the songs who sang, about, who sang the song Respect. Or at least when you hear his voice, you could say, oh yeah, that's Otis Redding. I'm not asking you to become a fan of Otis Redding. I'm not asking you to all of a sudden now drop your music that you're listening to now and start listening to Otis Redding and Solomon Burke and Sam and Dave and Eddie Floyd and Booker T and the MGs and Donnie Hathaway and Bobby Walmack and Sam Cooke and Ray Charles. No, I'm not asking you to do that. But at the very fucking least, you should kind of know the name and synonymous with the voice. name, If I say John F. Kennedy, at least you should say President of the United States. You don't have to go into... The Bay of Pigs. You don't have to go up into uh, what he did, what he did or didn't do for civil rights. I'm not asking you to ask. You, I'm not asking you how many times he banged Marilyn Monroe along with his brother, tag team the, the girl. I'm not asking you to know any of that. But at the very, 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 very least, you should at least know who that he was president of the United States. And I'm not, I'm not even asking you when. I'm not asking. I'm not going to even ask you if he was a one or two term president. If you just said, yeah, John F. Kennedy, yeah, he was the president of this country, I think, uh, what, during the 60s, 50s, somewhere around there, it's good enough. That's good enough. That's copacetic enough. That'll put you on the playing field. That'll put you into the game. But the fact that you don't know who that 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 John F. Kennedy, you, didn't, you don't know that he was president of the United States and everything that went down, that's shameful, man. That's horrible. You don't know the kind of impact that John Kennedy had on this society still? You don't know that? And what his assassination meant? And what the assassination of Bobby Kennedy meant? You don't know any of that stuff. The, the the relationship that he had with um with uh Lyndon Baines Johnson the Kennedys. You don't know you don't know anything about that? I mean, Lord knows if you don't know who John Kennedy is, you ain't going to know who Lyndon Johnson is. You're not embarrassed by that? You should be. You should be mortified by that. You should be troubled by that. Even more, your parents should be. They're in charge of your education. Nothing that never came across in any way, shape, or form? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But, hey, again, if it wasn't for Ali, there wouldn't be Colin Kaepernick. If it wasn't for Ali, there wouldn't be Serena Williams. If it wasn't for Ali, it wouldn't be Charles Barkley. If it, do you think Charles Barkley would be this outspoken if it wasn't for Muhammad Ali? I don't think so. So, yeah, you you, you speaking about the impact that he's made on the world. On every race, every place, every face, every gender. Yeah. 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 You don't think that there would be a WNBA if there wasn't for Muhammad Ali? Mm Mm-hmm. Or it been Billie Jean King? Mm Mm-hmm. And Martina Naratilova? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. 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 Speaking of the WNBA, All-Star Weekend. Remember how I was speaking about what we need to do to uh, change it? Because uh, I don't know if it really needs to be changed, but the All-Star Game, when you're speaking about um, the All-Star Game and you're speaking about a team... In the East, that won over the West, 211 to 186. I was sitting there with all that defense or lack of defense being played. I'm, I'm sitting here talking. and I'm sitting up here looking at myself and thinking to myself, am I watching a Washington Wizards inter-squat scrimmage uh, with the lack of defense that's being played? Am I watching the uh, Indiana Pacers, Pacers play the Wizards? No defense whatsoever. 211 to 186. Disappointed in the effort from both teams, particularly the West. Look, I put, I put, there's a lot of blame to go around. And people are speaking about what can we do to uh, prevent this from happening. I think, I think every one of those players, it was a disgrace. It was a disgrace. And here's the reason why. You had two of the greatest basketball players who ever lived. You had a pioneer you had a great, 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 not just basketball player, but great man and Oscar Robertson who fought for, who sacrificed so much so those guys could be able to do what they do today, make the money that they make today, have the freedoms and enjoyment that they have today of being basketball players. Oscar Robertson was there. Larry Bird, the great, the legendary, the awesome, the fantastic Larry Bird was at the game. And I'm so happy now that Larry Bird, I'm starting to see Larry Bird now more in commercials and coming out and showing more of his personality. Larry Bird, is, Larry Bird is awesome, man. Larry Bird is fantastic. I don't know what happened with him and his oldest daughter. I don't know if they've rectified or I don't know if he has a relationship with her because I know at one time they didn't. But Larry Bird is an awesome, awesome human being, man. Larry, I, I would love, I would love, I would love just to sit down and talk to that guy or interview that guy. Larry Bird is awesome he was at the game and this is how you going to re- disrespect him huh this is how this is how both both teams players on both the east and the west this is how you are going to do a disrespect larry bird huh treat him like this put on that type of bullshit performance put on that type of nonsense and then at the end of the contest not one of y'all at least apologized giannis talking about hey we played hard you didn't play really you played hard you really you played hard if that's you playing hard, man, the Milwaukee Bucks ain't got a chance. LeBron talking about the best thing is that no one got hurt. Really? That's the only thing that you can say? You had Oscar Robertson sitting there. LeBron James, who knows a little something about history. LeBron James is toting himself as wanting to be the next Ali when it comes to speaking up about issues and this type of things. You, you, you The best that you can come up with was no one got hurt when you had Oscar Robertson sitting there? Larry Bird sitting there? That's the best you could come up with? No one got hurt, not even an apology, not even an explanation for that bullshit that y'all put on the court uh, yesterday. So yeah, I I blame, I mean, there's a lot of blame to go around, but I I start with, I start with the leaders, man. I start with the LeBrons, I start with the Kevin Durants, I start with the Giannis's, I start with uh, uh, the, the guys who have been there long enough. LeBron is the face of this league. He's the most powerful person in this league. Somehow, some way, him, Giannis, somebody, a group should have got together and say, "Fellas, let's go out here and let's, and let's try." I'm not, I'm not even talking about trying hard. I don't, I don't want the intensity of a of a game seven of the NBA finals. You know, I, I don't even want I don't even want the intensity of a regular season game. But at least try a little bit, man. Where's your fucking pride? What I mean it it, it 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 was disgraceful, and a lot of things is is that you take a look at the West, right? Because um, based on if these guys were playing with just a little bit of effort, the West should have blown them out. But you had guys like LeBron who had been there twenty years. You have Kevin Durant who had been there for I don't know over four uh, over thirteen fourteen years in this game. You had um Luca who just hates playing in these games. I mean he was. Out of, out of all the players who gave no effort Luca was just and I love myself from Luca but that was that was disgraceful what he did that performance it's like look man if you don't want to play fake an injury and we'll just find a, another replacement for you i think Luca who just turned 25 or he's going to be turning 25 soon i still think that he um i still think that he gives too much respect to the legends who are still playing, like the LeBron and the KDs and the Stephs and such. I still think that he is cool playing the background. Like he's not gonna come up there with a team on a team like LeBron and this, that, and the other and start talking about, come on fellas, we need to do this, follow me, this, that, and the other. That's not that's not his role just yet. That's what I feel. <clears throat> so <clears throat> Luca, if you're gonna play like that, man, just just fake an injury and we'll get somebody in there who wants to play. Or if you if you're going to play, I have to play in five minutes two minutes in to start, in the, start of the game and two minutes in the second half, and then that's it, man. Because you, you, you show no interest at all in playing. You, you, Nikola Jokic is a little bit better, but him. So you have two guys, Jokic, Luka, who don't want to be there. It's not really their, their cup of tea. LeBron, 20 years, he's kind of over this in terms of playing is concerned. KD, he's been there, you know, up 10 years. He's kind of over this. Steph has been there, what, 10 years now? So he's kind of over this, so... You had a lot of guys on the West who just felt like they just didn't want to be there or at least give any effort. Kawhi Leonard was invisible. I didn't even know that he was on the team. Anthony Davis really didn't do anything from the West. Anybody who showed a pulse was Carl Anthony Towns. And that's mainly because he was trying to, I don't know, score 500 points. So, you know, you had the East who had guys who wanted to play. Jalen Brunson wanted to play. Tyrese Halliburton wanted to play Dame Lillard a little bit. Wanted to play Giannis gave a little bit better effort than anybody on the West uh, gave. So you had guys like that. I was surprised. I was shocked, absolutely shocked that Anthony Edwards didn't try to take over the game. Didn't didn't look around because I, I think Anthony Edwards has the has the has the testicular fortitude and the attitude that he thinks that he's already the best. I'm already the best player in in this game. You know, I, I should be the one that should be starting. I should be the one that should be getting the most bo- most most uh, votes from the fans. I should be the one that they should be talking about the most. So I thought that he would see KD and LeBron and Luca and Jokic and, and uh, AD and Kawhi not giving a shit. And I thought Ant would be like, "Well, fuck that. Give me the ball. I'll, I'll lead. If you motherfuckers don't want to play, give me the ball. I'll uh I'll go ahead and do that." If if Ant would have done that. I would be feeling a much, much, much better about the Minnesota Timberwolves moving forward. And that's almost kind of like when, when you speak about Luka kind of ta- kind of deferring and you speak about it, maybe not stepping up Anthony Edwards. It, it, it's still a situation. They're not ready yet. They're not ready to be that guy. They're not ready to be the face of the league. They're not ready in my opinion, based on that to um, lead their team to a, a championship. Not just yet. I think it's going to happen. I think when Luka, when the light finally comes on, in terms of him just being the motherfucker, I think Luka is going to dominate this league. I think he's going to dominate it, dominate it. He's going to be winning MVPs. I think that he's going to be winning championships. And I think he's going to go down when everything is all said and done and maybe possibly the top 12, 15 greatest players who's ever played in the NBA. That's my expectations for Luka. I think, that's, I think when, when, it, when, when the light finally clicks on, when he finally says enough of this nonsense, I'm Luka Dantage, and it's time for me to uh, fucking wreck this league. What he can do, what he have the talent to do. Once he becomes that, there's no stopping him. Everybody talks about Wim Bignani in five years. I'm talking about Luka. But as of right now, he's still in that phase where he's like, eh, you know, LeBron's still the man, and LeBron's voice just. More powerful and this, that, and the other. So in settings like this, I'm just going to be demure. I'm just going to uh, kick back and this, that, and the other. And the East took advantage of it. And again, Anthony Edwards didn't do anything to say again. Anthony Edwards, who has that fuck this bullshit attitude, I think, I'm the man, I'm the star. That's the way he carries himself. He didn't step up either. He kind of fell in line with the, uh, with the older players who just went out there and just half-assed it. So, yeah, I mean, LeBron, I mean, LeBron knows. LeBron, LeBron's a leader. LeBron knows more about leadership than I do. But I would, I would say in that situation that you, you, didn't, you didn't lead. You didn't lead. So, so part of what happened, part of the fault on that atrocity, that embarrassment on Sunday was LeBron James, amongst others. So, yeah. So there you go. Again, speaking about the WNBA, I think without question the best moment came with the three-point shooting contest uh, between Stephen Curry and Sabrina Anescu. Curry won 29-26. anescu um, opened by making seven straight shots before finishing with a total of 26. You know, that score would have been the highest score by any NBA player in the three-point contest won by the Milwaukee Bucks' Damian Lillard. And I saw that and I wrote that down. And right now, I just kind of, I just kind of read that to myself, and I just, I I feel really ignorant. I feel really stupid in me reading that, and here's the reason why. The score would have tied the highest score by any NBA player in the three-point contest won by the Milwaukee Bucks' Damian Lillard. Sabrina Onescu is one of the greatest shooters in the world. Men or women! So the fact that she would have tied the highest score by any NBA player, guess so what? So what? I I bet you there's better shooters in the WNBA than the NBA. Well, I shouldn't say that. But, I mean, I was just saying there's just as many great shooters in the WNBA than in the NBA. And for me, that statement that I just read, for me, it felt kind of sexist. You know? I don't don't like... eh, I shouldn't have said that, so I'm sorry. Each player shot from the NBA three-point line while an shot with the uh, WNBA ball. So hopefully, I'm thinking this... we, We can start including some of the WNBA players into the uh, skills competition. I want to see, I mean, if it was for me, because I didn't watch Um, the dunk contest. I haven't watched a dunk contest in over a decade. It it holds no interest to me. If someone had a dunk that was like mind-blowing and this, that, and the other, I can watch it on the highlights. I can watch it on YouTube. I can watch it on Instagram. I, I have no... I have no interest listening to Kenny Smith or Reggie Williams or any of these guys go on and on. Every time someone makes a dunk, don't, 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 I don't need to hear any of that stuff. I don't want to listen to any of that stuff. Matt McClung started off his career at Georgetown and won the uh, slam dunk contest. Good for him. He's averaging 25 in the G League for Orlando. So I don't know if he's going to be coming up to the big show or not. But uh, yeah, th- that stuff just doesn't uh, doesn't interest me. I don't know if it's, I'm. I don't know if I'm getting to the uh, yelling at the clouds and yelling for a kid to get off my lawn when it comes to that matter yet. But uh, yeah, I just, I just had zero interest of watching the um, competition, the three-point contest, and also the uh, slam dunk contest. And it's not even a matter of what we need to do. Is we need to have the superstars come in and and uh, participate in the dunk contest? Because if LeBron James could have been there, I wouldn't have watched. I mean, I don't know what NBA superstar you could have up there in a dunk contest, but I wouldn't have watched. I just have no interest in a dunk contest, just like I have no interest in a home run derby. But um, I do think that you can broaden um, the magnitude and the visibility and the excitement level and the interest level in All-Star Weekend, if you start including a lot more of the WNBA players, and I'm not having them go one-on-one. I'm not saying WNBA versus NBA. I'm not talking about that type of nonsense. B two movement, slow down on that one. But what I am saying is I would love to have a WNBA versus NBA contest when it comes to the skills competition, when it comes to uh, three-point shooting, when it comes to horse, no dunking, but when it comes, when it comes to that type of thing, so when I say uh, uh three point shot something where you know you, you know the trick shots or something like that, I'm not talking that I'm not talking about something that includes like incredible athleticism. Like, all right, all right, we can't dunk, but uh, let me go ahead and do a 720, have my head touch the uh, backboard uh, off glass. Then, well, okay, now, now now we're getting a little bit ridiculous. But, but what I'm speaking about is let's find some skills competitions, dribbling, passing, that type of thing, and have the WNBA players play against the NBA players. I bet you in a lot of those competitions, I bet you the WNBA players will win. And you're speaking now about the WNBA players that are coming into the league right now in the next couple of years. I mean, could you imagine next year how lit it's going to be when Caitlin Clark is going to be there? Could you imagine how fantastic it's going to be when um um who's that girl from LSU? Um oh, oh, oh my goodness gracious, I see your face, very pretty girl. Uh LSU uh did, 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 did started her career off at Maryland. Oh, I'll come to me in a second. But um, you know, you you're going to have within 3 years, you're going to have people or women who will be playing or in that skills competition, or participating in the All-Star Weekend, you're going to have Inescu, Caitlin Clark, Brianna Stewart, is an excellent women's basketball player. I love me some uh, Paige uh, Buckers from um, Connecticut. She's awesome. She is awesome. Uh, Kelsey Plum, Diana Taurasi, if she's still around. I mean, Angel Reese, that's the girl's name. Yeah, Angel Reese. I mean, you've got some very popular players. You you, you speaking about in a couple of years? Because no one... Knows who's coming up in the NBA draft. This NBA draft is going to be very weak. It's going to be Ron Holland, who's out of out for the year with G League Ignite. There's nobody in college on the men's side that's lighting the world on fire in terms of knowing who they are, who can make that transition from college to the uh, NBA and bring along with them a uh, a contingent of fans. Um, but you've got Caitlin Clark, you got Angel Reese, you got Juju Watkins in three more years. The girl from uh, USC. She's only a freshman and how good she is. I was watching her the other night against... Uh, I watched her for about five minutes the other night, which for me is very, it's, it's very significant. I watched her maybe five or ten minutes play against... Oh, I don't remember who it was. I know they were playing at home. She plays for USC, but that, that girl can play. That girl can play. Cameron Brink, Kelsey Plum, Asia Wilson, Jackie Young of the uh, Las Vegas um, Aces down here, the uh, Champions. Put them. Start putting them. Start showing them more, because here's the deal, and it ain't sexist. It's just the way we are. When you're speaking about those women, not only are they fantastic basketball players, they're very attractive. As I mentioned before, um, you know some some of these some of these women. You get them dolled up. You get them wanting to look sexy, making them want to look good. They're good. Angel Reese, as I mentioned before, she has she has bottled um, good looks. I mean, you're going to try to tell me that on Saturday she's whipping the guys' at, at ass in the skills competition, and then on Sunday she's watching the game looking cute and attractive? You don't think that's going to be bringing eyeballs to the, uh, to the game? The same thing with um, this girl Cameron Brink out of Stanford. Kelsey Plum is an attractive woman. Uh, Jackie Young is an attractive woman. Hey, the sex—bring bring in the sex. Bring in the fact that they're sexy. But also accentuating the the, the 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 aspect, or accentuating the point that these women are also fantastic basketball players. No, 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 not fantastic women basketball players. No, no, no. There are they are fantastic basketball players. When it comes to oh, if they played in the NBA, they fucking get annihilated. If LeBron James. Played in the fucking WNBA, he'd have 70 points a quarter. (laughs) I'm not talking about that stupid. I'm talking about in terms of the fundamentals of the game. Shooting, passing, dribbling, thinking, ball control, handles, IQ. The women, in those regards, they're just as good as the men. So, yeah, I don't refer to uh, Anescu and Caitlin Clark and Asia Wilson and... Cameron Brink and these girls. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think of them as, man, they are some fantastic women basketball players. I just think of them as being fantastic basketball players. Oh, who just happen to be women. And they'll sit there and say, well, man, I tell you, man, that Anthony Edwards, that guy is a great male basketball player. <laughs> He's just a basketball player. He's a great basketball player. Well, that Luca, he is a great European basketball player. <laughs> that Jokic, he is a fantastic Serbian basketball player. Giannis, boy, I tell you, that guy—I mean, that Greek guy—he is a great bas Greek, uh, great Greek basketball player. No, he's a basketball player, male basketball. He's a great Serbian male basketball player. No, he's just a basketball player. So, for these women, they're great basketball players. End of discussion, and I and I'm looking forward to them um, um being part, being more part of the uh, NBA during its uh, All Star weekend. Maybe maybe they can. Cajole Luca and AD and KD and 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 Jokic and LeBron to play harder. And maybe they can, maybe they can uh, convince them to do so. All right, let's go ahead and I want you when I come back because I want to hear a little. I want to hear a little. Uh, I want to hear a little Muhammad Ali. Hey, hey, the gang's all here. Join in the fun. Hey, hey, the game's all here. We're going to swing as one. Sam Cook produced that, by the way. So I'm going to listen to that. I'm going to boogie because am I, I'm i ready and I am the greatest. But when I come back, there are 30 games to play in the NBA. Eastern Conference standings, Western Conference standings, storyline for both, Golden State, L.A., who's going to catch Boston, all of those things. Speaking about after... The gang gets here. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports.
1: Are you ready?
2: Yeah. Am I the greatest? Yeah. Hey, hey, the game's all here. Join in the fun. The gang's all here, we're gonna swing as one, one more time Hey, hey, the game's all here, join in the fun Hey, hey, the game's
1: all here, we're gonna swing as one Is New York with me? Yeah. Is Chicago with me? Yeah! Is Los Angeles with me? Yeah.
0: The yeah. Wendell's World of Sports the gang's all here join in the fun hey hey the gang's all here we're gonna swing as one yo yo I was thinking about this the other day and uh I was saying to myself, man, you know, you know what's going on in terms of an And look, I, I don't want to turn this into Bobby Riggs versus Billie Jean King. And now all of a sudden that women are going to be this that, and the other. I don't think it has that type of impact. But I was just thinking about that. And I was saying, you know, Becky Hammond made it to the bench with the uh, San Antonio Spurs as a coach. And, you know, you watch a lot of um, the college basketball, the women's college basketball. And you see a spattering of of male coaches. And I remember like 10, 15 years ago, for the most part, it was male-dominated in terms of the coaches are concerned, or at least it felt it felt like it was male-dominated with the coaches, with the male coaches. And for the longest of time, Gino Oriema, the head coach of Connecticut, was the cream of the crop, was at the top of the hill, if I could use any of those other cliches, in terms of the best women's college basketball coach. And no one really said anything in terms of the men being coaches for uh, these women's sports, basketball and such. But I was only thinking to myself that men would probably lose their mind or Neanderthals would probably lose their mind if they thought, for instance, a man's sport like the NFL or the NBA or even Major League Baseball would have themselves a female head coach. And of course, in the NFL, it, we're, it's already hard enough to get uh, black head coaches, qualified black head coaches opportunities to become head coaches, even though they made some strides this season with some of the hires that they made and some of the hires that they did not make. So I wanted to give kudos to the, to the NFL for that. But I was just thinking to myself, you know, for, for these men who sit there and they talk about, oh, you know, a, a, a woman as a head coach in football, that's bullshit. That's nonsense. Women, a woman as a head coach in the uh, NBA, that's nonsense. That's bullshit. This, that, the other. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, we, if, if you work long enough, all of us have worked for a woman, right? Like the men wouldn't would respect that. She's a woman, blah, blah, blah. This is the male sport, blah, blah, blah. I don't believe this. I mean, we, we have worked for women before, right, guys? I mean, have you ever come into a job and a woman is your supervisor, or a woman is your manager, or you had to report to a woman, or basically she's your boss? And you know, you 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 speak with her and you talk to her, and you know, she's your boss, and you find out very quickly that she's highly qualified, she's a great boss, she's understanding, she's demanding, she's knowledgeable, she's putting you in great positions, she's helping you out this that, and the other. And it's like, well, as long as she's doing that, I don't give a damn if she's a woman or not. If she can make my life at work that much easier, I don't. Why? Why do I care if she's a woman or not? What, 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 what's going to have me walk into her office and say, oh, "I'm not going to listen to you, bitch. I'm a man. You a woman? Fucking suck my dick and go ahead and fix me some lunch." You know why? Why? What, what? What? What would that be about? What type of nonsense would that be about? If the woman, if it's qualified, and this now goes to sports, if the woman. If the if the, if the head coach of a basketball team in the NBA is a woman, and she's a great coach, she's a great motivator, she's a great X's and no person, she's great on out of balance, she's great on uh out of timeouts, she's working very well, she has great relationship with the players. Why who what why does it even come to existence the fact that, well, somehow, way it's a detriment because she's a woman? I don't I don't I don't get that. I don't I don't understand it. I never understood that. If the woman can coach whatever the sport that she's in, let her fucking coach. So I don't, I don't understand that. Again, when it comes to X's and O's and when it comes to fundamentals, women are just as knowledgeable in that regard than men are. They're just as knowledgeable and they're able to teach just as well. I mean, really, when you think about it, as, as far as education, as far as teaching is concerned, women have a have a leg up in our society over men in that regard. They've been doing that a lot longer than men have, in terms of teaching, in terms of instructions, in terms of that type of a situation. So I don't get it. I don't understand it. But hopefully, that day will come before I uh, before I die. And you know, I don't plan. I only plan living maybe another thirty thirty five years top. So uh that's that's your assignment let's see it's somewhere in one of the four major sports football baseball basketball hockey in this country let, let's see what we can do and even overseas in football aka soccer uh before i pass away before judgment day whether it's 30 minutes from now or 30 years from now let, let's see what we could do to have someone of, of of a qualified woman be a coach in that regard if we could do that that would be uh that would be awesome. Wendell's so <laughs> really like, oh, World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. We're ready to pick play. You picked another you picked another person. Not your own. Shut up, bitch. It's like, oh good Lord have mercy. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Alright, you know what? There's 30 games left in the NBA season. 30 less. Less than 30. Everybody thinks the all-star game is the halfway point. No. No, my brother. Eastern Conference standings, the top six teams, the Boston Celtics, 43 and 12. Cleveland, Cleveland, 36 and 17. The Milwaukee Struggling Bucks, 35 and 21. As much shit that we talk about with the Milwaukee Bucks, and about 90% of it rightfully so, you wouldn't think that they're 35 and 21, right? The New York Knicks. The Tom Thibodeaux, 33 and 22. The Philadelphia 76ers minus Joel Embiid 33 32 and 22. That's their record. The Indiana Pacers, the most enjoyable, entertaining team possibly in the NBA, because they most resemble an all-star basketball squad offense, no defense. They are 30 and 25. The play-in tournament. The surging Miami Heat 31 and 25, the Orlando Magic number 8. They are 30 and 25. No, Miami 31 and 25, Orlando with 30 and 25. Chicago Bulls still for some reason trying to uh, do some things. They are in the number 9 seed. They are they have a 26 and 29 record and the number 10 seed in the play-in tournament would be the Atlanta Hawks. 24 and 31 and then on the outside looking in is Brooklyn with 21 and 33 a record of 21 and 33 and then rebuilding the Toronto Raptors the Charlotte Hornets my Washington Wizards who are one game ahead of the Detroit Pistons who believe it or not are playing a little bit better if you can say that about a team who's 8 and 46 but uh yeah, so that is the um, top six teams, or the top. Uh, that's the standings of the Eastern Conference. For the Western Conference, the top six teams remain: number one, the Minnesota Timberwolves, thirty-nine and sixteen; the number two seed, the Oklahoma City Thunder, thirty-seven and seventeen; And number three seed are the Los Angeles Clippers, they are thirty-six and seventeen; the Denver Nuggets are the number four seed, the defending NBA champions at thirty-six and. 19 the phoenix suns are the number five seed 33 and 22 that's their record number six the new orleans pelicans 33 and 22 also the play-in tournament this is where things start getting interesting the play-in tournament you have at the number seven seed the dallas mavericks 32 and 23 the number eight seed at the sacramento kings 31 and 23 the los angeles lakers they are the number nine seed at 30 and 26 and the number 10 seed the Golden State Warriors, twenty-seven and twenty-six is their record. And on the outside looking in, the Utah Jazz, the Houston Rockets, number twelve, the number thirteen-seeded Memphis Grizzlies, who at twenty and thirty-six, are exceeding expectations. No lie, Chris Finch has done a really good job. Or uh, yeah, um, uh, Chris Jenkins has done a really good job. Chris Finch teaches uh, uh, coaches the Timberwolves, and he's done a really good job. The Portland Trailblazers. Fifteen and thirty-nine, and the San Antonio Victor Wimbanyama's are eleven and forty-four. I Wimbanyama. So some of the storylines. When you speak about the um, Eastern Conference, when you speak about the Western Conference, I guess the main thing in the Eastern Conference is that look, Boston's the best team. I think if you take a look at both conferences, the West and the East. The West has better teams. More than likely, the West is going to have the NBA champion. At the uh, Eastern Conference, though, the Boston Celtics are the best team in the NBA. So when you speak about the Celtics, who have a six-game lead over the Cleveland Cavaliers, a -a six-and-a-half-game lead over the Milwaukee Bucks, so on and so forth, the question heading down the stretch of the season is, is there anybody in the East that's going to catch the Celtics? Are there anybody in the East... That are worthy contenders to challenge the Boston Celtics for supremacy in the Eastern Conference because right now the Celtics, their last eight games, the last ten games, they're eight and two. Um, they're on a five-game winning streak. They beat the brakes off of the uh, Brooklyn Nets right before the All-Star break, which really cost uh, Jacques Vaughn his job. Kevin Ollie is going to be the new head coach or the interim coach for the rest of the season. For the Brooklyn Nets, I think he'll do a good job because he doesn't have to cheat like he did at Connecticut, that got him fired after winning a championship after a couple of years at that school. But uh, Kevin Nollie is going to be the coach of the Brooklyn Nets. Jacques Vaughn is going to—it was fired, but um, yeah, I guess when you lose by 50, it's like okay. Exactly, what are we doing here? Um, So, yeah, the Celtics right now, look, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Drew Holiday, Derek White, they've played in at least 50 games so far this season, so you're speaking about relatively good health. Then the wild card, of course, is going to be Kristoff's I think when you have to read the barometer of what's going to be happening, and I'll be saying this time and time and time and time again, you know, Jason Tatum is going to have to be that number one guy for that team. Jalen Brown is going to have to be a better Batman, excuse me, a better Robin to compliment Jason Tatum's Batman once the playoffs hit. Um, Derek White is going to have to continue his solid all-around play. Drew Holiday, I think, is going to pay dividends because now you have a guy who has championship experience that's also going to be able to help much more of an upgrade than Marcus Smart was last season. But the key, of course, I think Missoula, having his uh, feet getting wet last season with the uh, championship run or the um, uh, 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 the, uh, playoff run in which they lost in the Eastern Conference Finals to the uh, Miami Heat, I think that he grew much greater, became a much better coach in that situation for going through those situations. So he's not going to be wide-eyed and that's what to do in terms of his experience, in which he gained a, a lot of last uh, season's playoff run. The key is going to be Christoph Porzingis. And look, I know with the Celtics, the bench is also a little bit weak, but the key is going to be Porzingis, his health. He's played in 40 or 55 games so far this season. He's played at least 60 games once in the past six seasons. So there should be a situation where if he continues the pace that he's on, he'll play the most games since, I believe, what, his second or third year in the league. So... Yeah, when you have a guy who's averaging 20.7 rebounds, two assists per game. It's almost like the James Harden situation in this regard. James Harden, and I'll get to it when I speak about some of the storylines with the Western Conference. One of the things with James Harden, which is going to, I think, make him a lot more valuable and impactful, when the Clippers go on their playoff run, is the fact that, look, he's not going to be asked to have the same responsibilities. I know I've been saying this uh, saying this on podcast after podcast when you're speaking about um, James Harden, but I must reiterate, James Harden is not going to be asked to carry the offense. He might maybe asked to do so in six-minute spurts, uh, if, if in, in a seven-game series. I mean, let's just say, for instance, the Clippers win a, win a playoff series four games to two. There'll probably be maybe four or five situations during that series where James Harden is going to be asked to be James Harden of Houston, and maybe that might be for four or five minute increments. The the responsibility that he had when he was with Houston and melted down time after time after time after time again, including when he was with Philadelphia, that's not going to be asked of him with the Clippers. That's Kawhi Leonard's job, who, who by happens to be a two-time NBA championship champion and MVP for two different teams. That's going to be on Paul George, who's been spotty, who's been inconsistent in terms of the impact uh, measured with how important he is to the team has been inconsistent, but this is a team where it's Kawhi Leonard's and it's Paul George's. So those are the guys that are going to be asked to do the heavy lifting, not, on a consistent basis, James Harden. That's the same thing now when you come, with, uh, come back to Christoph Porzingis. Porzingis can easily, in a series, be the fourth best guy on, the, on his own team. There's a situation where Porzingis might be in an Eastern Conference playoff series where there are going to be games where he's going to be the seventh best player, maybe the eighth best player. And the eighth-best player is a lot different in terms of his responsibilities and the expectations than someone who might be the second-best player on his own team. And I'm speaking about from both teams, Perzingis might be the seventh-best player or the most impactful player because for the Celtics, you'll have Tatum, you'll have Brown, you'll have Derek White, you'll have Drew Holiday. And then the other team, let's just say, for instance, they're playing the Milwaukee Bucks, Damian Lillard. And Giannis Antetokounmpo will have more responsibility than Christoph Porzingis. So in terms of impacting the game, let's just say, for instance, they play in a series against Milwaukee. Porzingis is going to not be asked to be the second best player on the team. He's not going to even be asked to be the fifth best player on the court. This is a guy who can do what he needs to do, uh, 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 spread the floor, be able to shoot the threes, Keep the driving lanes open because of him stretching the floor for Tatum and Brown to drive and do, it, do their thing. So, this is a situation, as long as Porzingis can stay healthy, then, you know, I think Boston is the overwhelming favorite. So, when we speak about which team from the Eastern Conference is going to be able to challenge the Celtics, and you take a look at the realistic contenders, and you go to Cleveland, you go to Milwaukee, you go to Philadelphia. You go to maybe the New York Knicks and you say to yourself, okay, which of those teams realistically can really put a scare or can really challenge the Celtics if they are going to be continuing, speaking of the Celtics, uh, being on this level of play with the uh, lack of injuries that they've had. Now, if Jason Tatum goes down or anything like that, then it's a whole new ball game. but this is going to be going on the assumption that the Celtics are going to be going into the playoffs relatively health, um, uh, injury-free. Which of these teams, the Cavaliers? I mean, yeah, the Cavaliers have been playing great. 18-2 and two over the past 20. Um, bad loss versus the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. They gave up, what, like 123, 126, something like that. But for the most part, the Cavaliers have been playing some pretty good basketball. My, my only deal is that uh, what impact is Darius Garland and Evan Mobley going to have now that they've come back from uh, injuries in the... Uh, Cavaliers started building this run and started making this move of victories and winning 90% of their past 20 games due to the fact that uh, Mobley and Garland weren't playing. How are those two pieces are going to be incorporated into the offense? And with Donovan Mitchell playing point guard and averaging about 27 points and 10 assists while those, uh, while Garland and Mobley was out, how was he going to reconstruct his game? How are, the Cavaliers and Bernie and uh, and uh, Bernie Bickerstaff's kid, JB Bickerstaff, how are they going to incorporate both Garland and Evan Mobley back into the fold? And what does that mean in terms of having a front court which includes non-two shooters for Cleveland? When you speak about Mobley, when you speak about Jared Allen, what is that going to mean in the playoffs? Because Mitchell. Who leased the league for years and bad shots, hero shots taken. But when him and Garland start going down the league, the, the lane, and they start getting clogged up, what does that mean? What type of adjustments are Bakerstaff going to have to make concerning that? And also, how much should we take into the fact that uh, basically Cleveland bitched up last season when they were playing the New York Knicks, who were much more physical than the um, Cavaliers? So all of those things kind of makes me pause a little bit, kind of like. Uh, you have to prove it. I have to. You have to prove it in the playoffs before I really start getting gung ho about the Cavaliers being real, real contenders to uh, beat the Celtics. What about the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers? This is all going to be depending upon uh, Joel Embiid. And this is the situation with Joel Embiid. When he comes back, it's the fact that how long is he going to get back? How long does he have to get back to being his dominant self, his MVP self? Before Embiid went down with this injury, without question, he was clearly the front runner for the MVP and having the more dominant seasons in the past, I don't know, five, six, eight, ten seasons. When you speak about his scoring numbers, when you speak about his rebound numbers, Now that he has this meniscus tear and he's had surgery and he's going to be out for a little bit, this is not a situation where, okay, Joel Embiid is going to be out four weeks, so in four weeks' time, he's going to come back to the Sixers and pick up right where he left off. No! No, there's also going to be some time for reintegrating Embiid back into the lineup and also giving him some time to get back in a game-playing shape for him to be the the dominant force that the 76ers need him to be. If Joel Embiid is playing to 60%, the Philadelphia 76ers ain't going nowhere. If Joel Embiid is playing 70 to 75%, no matter what Tyrese Maxey does, the 76ers aren't going anywhere. So how much time is Joel going to need to get back to being his dominant self to give the 76ers a realistic shot of winning the conference championship or at least competing with the Boston Celtics in a seven-game series? And with Embiid's injury history... Even when he comes back, and even when he gets close to being full bore to what he was before the injury, I mean, how long is it going to be before M B tweaks, pulls, strains, tears, does something again that's going to limit his effectiveness? This has been an ongoing situation for Joel Embiid throughout his, throughout his entire career. So this is something where he's almost become the Chris Paul of the Eastern Conference in terms of once the playoffs come around, there's a pretty good chance that Joel Embiid is going to be missing a game or two or a series because of injury. He did last uh, season playoffs. He missed some games against the uh, Brooklyn Nets. So, I mean, how much can we count on Tyrese Maxey to be the main guy? Because when you take a look at the 76ers' record, they are much worse with him, a much, much worse without him than they are with him. So, we'll, we'll see about that. The Milwaukee Bucks. Oh, talking about contenders in the Eastern Conference, the Milwaukee Bucks. Can the Bucks basically improve their defense enough to be serious contenders? What is the impact of Doc Rivers being the head coach? How is that going to elevate this Bucks status to conference contenders? Because when you speak about Milwaukee, they have the East toughest remaining schedule. Their opponent's uh, cumulative winning percentage is 53 Point four or 53% with 18 of their 26 games against the other 17 teams that come out of the break with winning records. And they're 17 and 13 with that group. They're just 4 and 8 on the road and 2 and 4 under Rivers. And the loss that they had against Memphis, that was deplorable. That was horrible. That was embarrassing. That was ridiculous uh, for what they did against the... Uh, Against the uh, Memphis Grizzlies. Who, who was the leading scorer for that game? Gigi Jackson, the uh, young kid out of uh, South Carolina. I mean, Memphis was playing with nobody. And Milwaukee with Lillard and Giannis in the lineup, they still couldn't beat them. Mil- Malik Beasley, that game, couldn't have hit a shot to save their- save his life. I think he went at one stretch, one for eight, one for nine. It was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. They're going to need Chris Middleton. They need Chris Middleton. And they don't I think they need Chris Middleton being close to 90% more than they need Damian Lillard. To be to be Dalla Dane, to be Dane time. It doesn't matter how great Lillard's going to be on offense. If they don't have Middleton being impactful, Lillard's defense is too poor. And the Celtics and the Heat and these other teams are just too good to have Giannis be Superman on both ends of the court. Have Dane be Dane time only on the offensive end but be a liability on defense. Have Malik Beasley still in there not being able to guard anybody or make an open shot. And then have Chris Middleton be less than um, 75 or 70%. And with Brook Lopez doing Brook Lopez things. That's not going to get it done for Milwaukee. So the key is going to be Chris Middleton. If Chris Middleton can be that third guy, that reliable third guy, maybe not even the third guy that was on the team when Milwaukee won that championship. But if he could be, I don't know, 80 to 85% close to that, Milwaukee might have a chance. And we all know Rivers' record in the playoffs when he holds a 3-1 lead, when he holds a 3-2 lead, and he's a coach, he's the only coach that, I don't know, multiple teams, he's blown 3-1 leads in the playoffs. So all of this stuff comes into uh, fruition. So when you speak about the warts and the, uh, I mean, Rivers is coming in midstream. So he doesn't have a training camp. He hasn't had anything to really get the guys uh, associated with him and what he wants to do. So I'm, this is this is almost a situation where if I'm Milwaukee, it's almost like a punt year. It's almost like, all right, let's see where we're at. Let's see where we need to go. And then next season, this that will be the, the tall tale season. That will be the season of whether the Dame Lillard trade really worked. And even if Boston goes ahead with Drew Holiday to win and win a championship, the fight ain't over just yet. Because in year two, we have to see what happens again with a full squad, full team, and Rivers as their coach for the entire season. But uh, I think moving forward, the Bucks are susceptible not only to lose to the Celtics or the uh, Cavaliers, but. A team that's going to be physical like the New York Knicks. A team that plays a lot of offense like the Indiana Pacers. Even though the numbers offensively from Milwaukee are good. It's just a situation where I think the Miami Heat could also do some things. I don't trust Tyler Hero. Jimmy Butler seems to be taking the year off. But when you have a coach like Eric Spoelstra, you have a player like Bam on the Bayou. When you have a clutch postseason player like Jimmy Butler, anything can happen. I don't think that the formula to beat Boston. But could I see them in the um, Eastern Conference Finals against Boston? Would I say it's a slam dunk that the Cleveland Cavaliers or the New York Knicks or the Milwaukee Bucks or any of these other teams that are contending in the East, would you feel confident saying without question that they're better than the Miami Heat? I wouldn't. Yeah, but the other teams would have home court advantage against the Heat. Who cares? Last time I checked, last season it was the same scenario, and uh, the Heat made it all the way to the NBA final. And in fact, they won their conference championship on the road against the Celtics. So you know all those type of things. So it's it's interesting, man, when you speak about the Eastern Conference. How much how much of an impact are the trades that the um, New York Knicks made at the trade deadline? How are that going to impact? Uh, the Knicks moving forward. OG Ananobi, who's been out with a shoulder injury. When he comes back, how long is it gonna take for him to get back into the swing of things to be helping the Knicks like he did? How much longer or how how much of a fall off is Dante DiVincenzo going to be from his scoring averages over the last ten game period, once everybody is back rip roaring, ready to go? What is his impact gonna be? Julius Randle. What about him coming back? So all of these things I'm going to be interested in. Um, the Western Conference, hey, look, man, it's all about the Lakers and the Golden State Warriors, right? We we, we still don't know about the Minnesota of the Timberwolves because of their inexperience in the playoffs. We don't know about the Oklahoma City Thunder for the most part because of their youth and their inexperience, and the fact that they only have Chet Holmgren, who's what seven feet eight and one hundred and, and fifty-five pounds in, in the middle. But um, so so there's some um, there's some questions that need to be asked there. I think more than anything, people will be chirping about the the Clippers and, excuse me, the uh, Lakers and the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, the Clippers. I think the Clippers are the best team in the Western Conference myself. Now look, they got their asses whooped at home by the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves because of their size and their ability to play some defense, but I think in a seven-game series, because of the impact that Kawhi Leonard has had, the fact that James now is not going to be asked to do anything, I think the three-headed monster of Zubach and uh, Mason Plumlee and Daniel uh, Thice is going to be enough to get them through in terms of just having Paul George and Kawhi Leonard do their thing. Uh, Russell West Brooke has been a good game changer, motivation um, changer coming off the bench. Norman Powell is a situational three-point shooter who's been pretty consistent. I think the Clippers have the means. They have the coach who has won a uh, championship to uh, do some things. I think the Clippers, more than anything, even though they're in third place, only a little bit behind the Timberwolves in the Oklahoma City Thunder, I think that uh, as long as Kawhi can stay healthy, as long as Paul George can stay healthy, I think in this situation, I think the Clippers might be the best team in the uh, Western Conference, even more so than the defensive minded, studded big boys of the Minnesota Timberwolves and also the Oklahoma City Thunder moving into the playoffs regarding those two teams. It'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see, um, Ant, Anthony Edwards, how he plays in playoff situations. I know he did pretty well, uh, last season at the man for uh, Minnesota, even though they fell to the, uh, um, to the Denver Nuggets, and also Shea Gilgis Alexander, a guy who's been on the maybe short, outs, uh, maybe the short number of players on the on the periphery, looking in as far as the MVP consideration is concerned. It'll be interesting to see in his his first iteration of being the man in a playoff situation in a playoff series how he performs. But because of the question marks. There's a lot of people out there who are thinking to themselves, well, what about the Lakers? And what about the Golden State Warriors? My thing about the Lakers who are right now, the Lakers right now, they are 29 and 26, right? They're in ninth place. They're three and a half games out of uh, the number six playoff spot, Golden State. They're currently in 10th place. They're five games out of the number six playoff spot because of who they have as their superstars, because of their recent success, because of the fact that Golden State Went to the uh, championship, won the championship a couple of years ago. It's a situation where it's almost like, okay, you take a look at the top tier teams in the Western Conference, the Thunder, the Timberwolves, um, and you take a look at those those two leading teams, then you take a look at the Lakers and the Golden State Warriors, and you say to yourself, okay, in a seven-game series, even with the Thunder and or the Timberwolves having home court advantage I think most people because of the pedigree because of their resume from the past would choose the Lakers or the Warriors over those two teams and we haven't even gotten to the defending champions Denver Nuggets who I think are basically uh, you know on cruise control during this uh, regular season knowing that they have the best player in the world right now in Nikola Jokic they have the championship experience so whether they're on the road or on or at home Uh, They can go ahead and do some things and get the job done. But for the Lakers and the Golden State Warriors, man, I take a look at those teams, man. I take a look at that and I say to myself, "Mm -hmm, man, look, LeBron, LeBron is LeBron. And, you know, LeBron is sitting up there talking about, yeah, I want to be a Laker for the rest of my career. But who knows? That type of nonsense. So, the, the, the Lakers and everybody thinks about the last season they made the trades for Hachimura and and uh, the Russell and these guys and they made their way to the uh, finals. Okay, let's let's do it, let's be for real here. Number one, they played a Memphis team that was in complete disarray. They had to play in the play-in game, so they got into the uh, playoffs. They played the Memphis Grizzlies, who were in complete disarray, and Rui really Hachimura had the series of his life. Then they moved to the Golden State Warriors, a team that could not match up with the. Height and the strength of the Lakers. Austin Reed Reed plays out of his mind, and I think Klay Thompson is still bricking up shots uh, from that series. They didn't play well. The Warriors lose that series. They play a team in Denver and they get swept. So the think that the Lakers are going to be able to do the same thing again, I don't know. I don't know. The thing is, is that is look, the Lakers are twenty nine and twenty six. Right now, they've gotten hot over the last, I don't know, 10 games. They are a team that ended the New York Knicks' nine-game winning streak on the road. They are a team that beat the Boston Celtics without LeBron and AD at the, uh, at the at, on the road. They are a team without LeBron that just finished the All-Star break before then by beating the Utah Jazz, again, without LeBron on the road. That's, that's all nice. That's all cool. That's all good. But do you really think that they're better than the Los Angeles Clippers? I don't. And this is also a team, when you're speaking about the Lakers, where... Okay, so far, AD and LeBron, in terms of games played, have been concerned are playing well outside of the medium, right? So, I'm not saying, again, because the Denver Nuggets, if Nikola Jokic gets injured, the season's over. So, if Nikola Jokic is going to be Joel Embiid, in terms of, you know, injury is concerned, then the, the Nuggets' chances of winning or repeating as not only NBA champions, but also conference champions, that dream is over. Period. End of discussion. So, yeah, when you speak about, well, what happens if AD and what happens if LeBron get injured and this, that, and the other, yeah, well, of of course the Lakers' chances are going to take a devastating hit. But here's the thing. AD and LeBron the last couple of years have been susceptible to injuries, even though going into the playoffs last season, AD was able to do things and to get some things done. So, you know, I, I'm I'm just interested to see what they can do. If they're going to win, they're going to win with AD. They're going to win with AD leading the way. They're going to win it with LeBron playing Robin to um, Anthony Davis as Batman until maybe the six-minute mark, four-minute mark of a tight game at, in, in a playoff game. That's when the roles will be reversed. Um, Austin Reed is playing better. Hachimura is getting more minutes now. So we'll, we'll see. I don't think that the Lakers are, gonna, are the best team in the West, and I think again, if they play one of the t- uh, if they play the Nuggets, if they play the Clippers, if they play the Thunder, if they play the Timberwolves, I would think that they would lose because I think talent beats experience any day of the week. But um, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. We'll see how much of uh, of uh, the we'll we'll see how much Darvin Ham can ring out of these guys to uh, get them going. And and Darvin Ham right now, I'm I'm telling you, from a guy who You know, word has it that the players weren't really too happy with when you speak about the rotation and the lack of rotation and the lack of consistency. He's he's starting to pull things together together a little bit. But this is a team that can easily lose to the Atlanta Hawks than they can also beating the Boston Celtics and on the road without AD and LeBron. Let's finish things off with the Golden State Warriors. Can the Golden State Warriors basically win Or basically do anything if Jonathan Kaminga is going to be their second best player. Or this guy Pruszynski is going to be the fifth most important player. And we see Draymond Green slowly morphing back into Draymond Green. Thank you very much, Yusef Nurkic. You kind of poked that bear and kind of got him going. And kind of had Draymond Green remember, oh, this is who I am. Right? And then Draymond Green, when he was suspended, you know, Adam Silver had to talk him out of being, out of, uh, out of retiring, and the first couple of weeks, Draymond was quite demure on the court and everything like that. Well, Draymond's starting to yap. Draymond's starting to bother. Draymond's starting to be an annoyance to the other team. Draymond's starting to, you know, do a De- Dennis Rodman on the court act. The question is, though, is that, okay, if that's the Draymond that we're going to get, Will there come a situation where Draymond sabotages the season? And what exactly will that mean? Because guess what? This is a situation where Clay Thompson is not going to be able to save his ass or help save Draymond's antics that might hurt the team because Clay Thompson is no longer that player. Clay Thompson, in the last game before the All Star break, came off the bench. He scored 35, but he came off the bench. And for some reason, with the exception of that uh, Saturday night game a few weeks ago against the Phoenix Suns, the Golden State Warriors can't win close games I was watching that game against the Clippers and as soon as Tyru got uh, Tyron Lue got uh, booted got ejected from the game because Mason Plumlee was doing a little bit of his antics, I thought to myself this game's over, this game's over over Clippers came back and won the game don't understand. I was like, wait a minute. So, the Clippers, without Tyron Lue and without Kawhi Leonard missing that game, they came back and won after being down by double digits in the fourth quarter. I don't know. I don't know about the Warriors. I don't know. I mean, are we able to say confidently that the Golden State Warriors can do some things if they're going to be relying more on Kaminga than Andrew Wiggins? Is it, uh, is it safe? to ask Andrew Wiggins, to expect Andrew Wiggins to be the guy that he was a couple of years ago a couple of years ago in the finals, whether it be offensively or defensively, in the playoff run that the uh, Golden State Warriors have, is that Andrew Wiggins gone? How much of that Andrew Wiggins is left? How much of that Andrew Wiggins can you count on? Is it is it now time for Steve Kerr to pass the reins of that responsibility, a.k.a. being the second or third best team on the uh, third best player on the team to Jonathan Kaminga, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think the Warriors have gotten hot. I think the fact that um, they they've had their best lineup when it's been a small lineup. When you're speaking about a team that includes um, Porzinski, um, Brandon Porzinski, I think the, the rookie from um, St. Mary's, but him, Steph, Kaminga, Wiggins, and Draymond Green. That's been their best team. Can that team beat the Nuggets? Can that team beat the Timberwolves? Not unless Steph goes crazy. Not unless Steph goes nutty. Not unless Steph goes out of this world. Not unless Steph goes 2015 and beyond. And I don't see Steph as great as he's been playing. Physically, he can't do that anymore. You you can't walk into Steph's uh, place of, uh, of, of, of business in the locker room and say, hey, uh, Steph, look, um, we're going to be playing the Timberwolves. Um, you know how they are defensively. We need you to be like Steph Curry, 2015 times five. Steph is going to look at you and say, hey, man, I'm fucking 35 years old, Jack. I mean, come on, man. I can't I can't do that anymore. I might give you Steph 2015 for maybe, I don't know, maybe a quarter or something like that. But they ask me to do that for an entire series? Fuck no. So, so it'll be interesting. All right, I'm out of here. Woo, man. Man, was I on the roll today. Well, I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast. Remember, download, subscribe, rate, review. Remember, most importantly, though, enjoy. Remember, most importantly, be, be beyond all of that stuff. Man, do what we can do to try to move this country in the right direction, please. Please, come on, man. All we need is love, peace, unity, harmony. Don't be dividing us by religion. Don't be dividing us by race. Don't be dividing us because of gun control. Don't be dividing us because of anything political. Don't be dividing us because you're from another country, don't be dividing us because of anything else, because of who you worship, don't be dividing us because of that type of nonsense man, I'm not saying y'all need to be best friends I'm not saying that you need to name your firstborn after them, I'm not saying that they need to be godparents to your child, I'm not saying that you need to hang around them, I'm not saying that you need to be best friends, but you know come on man, use social media if you're on social media, do something man to uh, see what you can do to educate yourself more about those who are different from you and see if we could use that To express unity and harmony and empathy and compassion and love and respect for all. We could do that again. It would be, it would be fabulous. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. Yeah, man, go ahead and get me out of here. With some music.